couple of issues that will be salient to today's word. In the same region, there were shepherds staying in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were afraid. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, because I bring you good news of a great joy. I bring you good news of a great joy. Because today in the city of David there has been born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. What an announcement. The announcement that heaven is experiencing a great joy at the birth of this man, this little baby called Jesus. And the joy is the result of several activities here, one of which is the coming into God's kingdom of the church which is going to be birthed through the death and the resurrection of this little one who was born in Bethlehem on that evening. You see, the great joy in heaven was precipitated because the church would be birthed through the coming of God's Son. And God would finally have a family that would bring Him the joy that He desired. This morning as we continuing this, I believe the Holy Spirit's main objective among us this morning is not so much to give us a lot of information and facts, but to create within us a reason and a motivation connected with God. And so when it says we bring good news of a great joy, primarily, you know, if we're thinking the way most people think, we would think the great joy is we're going to be saved. We're going to have eternal life. We're going to have our sins forgiven. Well, that is the secondary joy. The great joy is the joy of God. That's the great joy in heaven. Because finally the glory and goodness and mercy and kindness of God will come to earth and connect in earth and join those who upon the earth who will be His church into His family forever. This is going to be a great joy for God and is a great joy for God today. Listen to these words that Paul pens to the Philippians. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my heart for you all. Why? Because of your participation in the gospel. And then he continues to go through here what that participation has done. And he culminates it in saying this. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. You see, the great joy 
the great joy of God having a church that is living and vibrant and well and healthy. And that's the kind of church we want to be. You see, look what happened when the love of this church, the activity of God's joy and love, functioned in a way that God wanted it to. The apostle was encouraged and he was filled with joy. The church was filled with the fruit of righteousness. And the gospel was becoming well known. And so you see, this is a healthy church and it's a church that brought great joy to God. And so what is the essence of a church that brings great joy to God? I believe among many issues, a church that is healthy and that is pleasing to God is a church that is growing and showing a growing church and a showing church. Remember what gave Paul the joy? Remember the, the joy of Paul the Apostle over the church in Philippi? And not only in Philippi, but Thessalonica and all the other churches that we see in the book of Acts. It was their mutual participation in the gospel through their abounding love for one another. So much so that the cause of Christ was becoming well known in Rome and throughout the entire world. You see, with this kind of a church, God is well pleased. God rejoices over a family that is spiritually healthy. He rejoices over this kind of a church where the church is mutually, all the members participating in the gospel through abounding love for one another. So much so that all the world is hearing the proclamation of that God that they serve is God and He is great because nobody else's religion out there has this kind of activity in it and has this kind of God. All the others fail miserably. And when the Holy Spirit begins to demonstrate the reality and the truth of the gospel within the church and to the world, people are amazed and have to proclaim this is God. The Philippian church and the other churches in Acts, these were healthy churches. And this morning, I want to talk about a few of the elements of being a healthy church, a growing and showing church. Well, there were several areas in which these churches were growing. Now, typically, if someone were to ask you, is Lakeview growing, what would most of us think of immediately? What? Numbers. And this is good. You know, some people deprecate, oh, we shouldn't be about numbers. Oh, yes, it should be about numbers. It should very definitely be about numbers for the joy of God. So, how are they growing? I think they were growing at least in a three or four or five different ways. They were growing in respect to righteousness. They were growing in respect to holiness, their walk of holiness. This pleases God. Remember the word in Acts 2, 42. And they were, the church, were continually devoting themselves 
to the apostles' teaching, to doctrine, to the Word of God, and to fellowship, ministering to one another, and living into one another's lives, as we heard Keith talk about a few weeks ago. And they were breaking of bread. They were celebrating the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus through the communion. And they were a church that was at prayer continually. The Lord said, that's my kind of family. It's a family that is growing in relation to righteousness. It was also growing in giving. I won't make much of a comment about it. Keith preached that last week. But it was a church that was vibrantly giving into the work of God. People were selling things. People were giving of their goods that they didn't even have many of these goods, as we found out last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in their extreme poverty because of their eager desire to participate in the gospel and be blessed by God. And to bless God, these people were pouring their assets and their finances into the kingdom of God. They were a giving church. They were also growing in deeds of mercy or deeds of love. It was a church that was vibrantly connected in such a way that where there were needs, these people in the church were quick and persistent to meet those needs. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they were began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all deeds of mercy and love, as anyone might have a need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and with sincerity of heart. This is a growing church. And also it was a church that was growing in numbers. Remember on the day of Acts how many people were saved? 3,000. Several days later, 5,000. And we don't know how many more, but within, we believe, the first year, this was a mega church. This was a church of many thousands of people. Why? Because, you see, the church was growing in righteousness. The church was growing in giving. The church was growing in its internal meeting of needs through deeds of love and mercy. And God was working in that kind of a church and sending these people into the world. And it was growing in numbers. And all these things, you see, are interconnected. We love Alpha. And Alpha is a wonderful opportunity for us to reach out to those who are lost. But there are other opportunities also. And so not only was this church growing, but as it was growing, it began to show the world the wonder and the grandeur of God. As I said before, they were showing what the grace of God really looks like, really looks like, and what the glory of God can accomplish in meeting the needs through the power of the gospel. I believe this is one of the most critical deficiencies in the church today, not only within the context of the body of believers, but also in the context out there where we are not experiencing and seeing what the gospel is really about to the extent that God wants us to see and believe what the gospel is really about in so many more avenues than what we see. You see, because the gospel is so much more than just preaching a good sermon and having classes and going to a covenant group and discussing these things and being built up through accountability. The gospel is so much more than that. 
And we want to be a church that is inclusive of all the activities of the gospel so we can be a church that mightily pleases our God. How many of us really want to live lives that really please God? You know, daddies, think about this scenario. It's Saturday morning and the grass is four inches high and Kevin didn't come by and cut it. All right. And so the grass is high and it needs trimming. And your son is playing in the football game and he's the guard. Or the quarterback or whatever it's called. None of you caught the first one, but we'll move along on that one. And it's a championship game. And so you get up in the morning and you look at the grass and say, okay, well, I'm going to have to cut the grass when we come back. You know, I'll have to do that. And suddenly your son walks into the kitchen where you're eating your breakfast with his overalls on or whatever and says, Dad, I've decided I'm going to miss this game to serve you because I believe your needs are greater than my wanting to play the football team. Seriously, how many of you would absolutely be overcome with joy? One of you. <laughs> how many of you cut your own grass? One of you. Wait, that was a lady saying that went up over there. To give up what means something to me personally to serve others brings God great joy. You see, in this kind of a church, it was demonstrative of what Luke says. Glory to God in the highest and on earth where the two, the heavens and the earth, come together for the glory and honor of God. Now, Lakeview is a growing and showing church. We are a growing church. But you see, as Paul tells the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I want you to excel even more in these areas that you are already excelling in. And so this morning, as we share this, we don't want to intimate at all that Lakeview is not a growing and showing church. This church is becoming pretty well known in the environs of this city. I mean, we hear all the time where people will say, I've heard about those things at Lakeview. I've heard about that church. That's that church that we hear this all the time. God is showing the world that something is happening. We're growing in numbers. We're growing in mutual participation in the gospel. But can we still have greater excelling in these issues? Always. Always. And I believe that's what the Lord wants to say to us. He doesn't want to say to us, you haven't done it and you're bad. But the Lord wants to say, this is what you're doing and it's beginning to occur. And as it's beginning to occur, I want to encourage you now to let's move along even more quickly and more extensively in that which you are already doing. I want you to excel. How many of us want our children to excel? The same two hands. What is the matter with the rest of y'all? I mean, really, how many of you want your children to excel? Don't we? Yes! Well, God wants us also to excel. Isn't it strange how God is? It shouldn't be strange to us. 
You see, what we're trying to do is connect this with ourselves and God. That's what we're trying to do this morning. Make some kind of a connection between heaven and earth. So that's why we ask some of these hokey questions. Now, why deeds of love? Why deeds of mercy? You remember the words of Jesus? Remember what he says in John 13, 35? He says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By what? By deeds of love. How are they going to know? How are they going to know? How will they know that God is a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of graciousness if they don't see it in our deeds of love for one another? How will they know? You see, because the world has an awful distorted picture of the God that we serve, the only God, the true God. They have a bad picture. And God is getting a bum rap out there. And I think many of you know that. And often we find ourselves trying to defend God's character. When what we should be doing more is showing in deeds of love and mercy to one another, this is what God is all about. And when they see His character in activity among us, then you see... They have no more questions about what our God is like. Because they see our God in our actions. That's what Jesus is talking about. Would you turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4? 1 John is a little letter way in the back just before you get to Revelation. It's one of those short letters, but every word is power-packed. It is one of the most power-packed letters that I've ever seen in such a short period of time. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, we said this, that this is how the, church is going to, uh, the world is going to know, and this is how the church is going to know that you're the disciples of the Lord Jesus, by the love that you have for one another. And he says this, the apostle says, Beloved... And notice in the word beloved. Do you see the word love in the word beloved? Everybody has seen that? Beloved. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. And now we're talking about, again, not only saying that you know, love God, but we're talking about deeds of love because we cannot say that we have love for God without the accompanying deeds. For God is love. By this love of God has, was manifested, but the, by this, the love of God was manifested to us. That he has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might have life through him. The greatest work of mercy we have ever seen. And this is love. Not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And I believe what John is inferring is we haven't seen God visibly, but God can be seen in the activities of our love for one another within the church. 
Now, what do we learn from this particular scripture? Well, very quickly, we learn that our activity of love and mercy within the church, ministering to one another, leaving our confines and our areas of responsibility and comfort, and extending ourselves into the lives of others who have a need around us and within this congregation, we're going to find that our deeds of love first prove the genuineness of our faith. The genuineness of our faith is demonstrated in how we care for one another. Succinctly, the verse that I have down here, 1 John 3, 16 and 19, essentially what John says, if you have the goods of this world and yet you shut your heart up against the needs of those who are around you, can it be said that the love of God abides in you? And that's the rhetorical question, meaning no. So first, it proves the genuineness of our faith. Secondly, let's look at Jude 20, 21. Be turning to Jude 20, 21. Secondly, it not only demonstrates and proves that I am a child of God, or you are children of God, and we are together the family of God, but it also builds up the church as we love and care for one another. We are being built up and strengthened. Strengthened to walk in righteousness and strengthened against the attacks of the world and the enemy. So many of us want to know, why am I so easily overcome? Why are there so many things that are happening in our lives that are overcoming and destroying and destructive in our lives? One of the reasons might be our lack of activity and pursuit of simply loving one another. Because you see, Jude says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to eternal life. We are kept protected through deeds of mercy. It's a blessing for us. We're blessed. Titus 3.8. You may want to turn there. Titus 3.8, we are blessed. We receive benefit from loving one another. Should we be motivated by receiving God's benefits? Yes! Should we be motivated by receiving benefits from God? Yes, why? Because when I am motivated to receive a benefit from God on the basis that as He blesses me, He Himself is more greatly blessed, I am giving Him joy, therefore I want to receive all that He can give me and will give me, because as any father knows, He wants to be able to bless His children, and the more His children want to be blessed because it blesses the Father, there is a great reciprocity of love in that family. And you may have to think about that for a little while. Jude says this, this, those who have believed in God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and they are profitable to men. There's benefit to us. You know, good deeds brings repentance. It, it causes us to see our sin. You remember in Luke chapter 5? And the guys are in the boat fishing and Jesus says, hey, put your net on the other side. Yeah, man, we've been fishing all night. He's going to tell us to put... Okay, but at your word, Peter says, all right. Remember, Jesus is the one who said this, so if it doesn't work, Jesus said it. 
They put it on the other side and they bring in such a catch that they have to have all kind of help. Remember? And when Peter experiences the goodness and mercy of Jesus toward him, Peter's response is this. He falls down before Jesus and he says, oh, Lord, I am a sinful man. Depart from me. He's overcome with his own need for repentance because God has met his need as we minister to one another in deeds of mercy. God will be in the midst of it, breaking bondages of sin in our midst. It causes the world to glorify God. Remember, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And lastly and mostly, it glorifies Jesus Christ himself. Remember that long passage in Matthew chapter 25? And Jesus has just gathered the nations before him and he has separated the sheep and the goats. The goats are those who thought they were in the kingdom and were pretending. And they're on the left and the sheep are on the right. And the family of God is talked to by Jesus and he says, you are my blessed ones. Because when I was sick, you came to me. When I was in jail, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was without clothing, you met my needs and you clothed me. And they said, oh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and sick and in prison and naked? And when did we see you in need? And Jesus says to his church, you know, as you have reached out in deeds of love and kindness and mercy to one another, you have done it. Personally, to me. If you have no more motivation than this, if this is your motivation, which is I left it last because I believe it's the highest motivation. I believe it's the most pure motivation. We are serving Jesus himself by serving one another. Quickly, you remember what happened to the 5,000? I'm sorry, to the disciples when they fed the 5,000? In Matthew 14? And they took the bread and the fish, a little bit that they had, and what did they do? They walked through the crowds and they ministered to this congregation. May I call that a congregation? And these men ministered to that congregation in deeds of love, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the whole time of ministry, what happened? Two things happened. The congregation was well fed and the men were well fed because there were 12 baskets full of fish and bread left over. What a God we have. What a God we have. How incredible he is. You see, without the pursuit and I want to make sure you get that word I didn't say without just the activities but without the pursuit of deeds of mercy among us we are not going to mature in Christ the way he desires us to it will stunt our growth we cannot grow in maturity and in righteousness and in our walk and in our ministries and in the work of God, in the pleasure of God, and not be actively involved some way in what God is wanting us to do. You know, I think 
One of the greatest opportunities for joy or sadness is this area. You know, if I were to look at my own grandchildren, Anna, are you listening? And, and if I look at Anna and Emily and Jonathan and Ellen, now, Frank started this a few weeks ago. He doesn't even have a grandchild yet, and he's talking about his. <laughs> There's an issue here that can bring me either great, great joy or great sadness. When my sweethearts don't help one another and they don't look for opportunities to minister and they ignore one another in those areas, that kills me. That kills me. When I see my little ones not doing that. Oh, but when I see them serving one another and when they go out they came home the other day, and I think Emily said, I bought something for Jonathan, and then Jonathan bought... Mm, mm, mm. You can't give me enough dollars that will do for me what serving one another does for me. This is how God is. We need to make it very practical and personal. We don't want to make this theological so much so that we can't get to it. This is how God is. You see, if we're not actively seeking ways to minister to the needs of our church, the needs are not going to be met and we're going to have our prayers hindered. And I wonder sometimes how many issues of health and healing and deliverances of sin are connected with our ministering to one another. I wonder. Well, I thought people didn't get healed because when we prayed for them, I believe there is a much larger context than just praying for folks for healing. I believe that there is a ministry here of loving and caring for one another that actually begins to break the bonds of Satan's work in health and healings and deliverances and sin. And I want Satan's work to be broken in my life, in my family's life, and in the life of this church. I am not satisfied with us just going along and having church try to get through the best we can. We want God to be triumphant in this church. And we want the work of Satan to be destroyed from among us. And it is very much through this kind of a way. This is a path that God, when you look at the Bible, it is replete from the beginning to the end. I didn't think it was this big until the Lord began to show me. I thought this was just something little on the side that we would do. <clears throat> May I give my opinion here? No, this is good. Keith, may I give you my opinion doctrinally on something? Bill, you'll correct me later. I know if it's wrong. However, I re really will say this and I think you'll agree with me. Several weeks ago was, I don't want to, let me just say it this way. I believe that there is a vital and direct connection between the activity and health of our deeds of mercy and ministry and love for one another 
to God's desire of breaking loose in this congregation with the baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to say this because I believe it's correct, although I can stand, be stand corrected and it's okay. I believe the Holy Spirit is actually withheld from us in these areas. We heard a word about a rusty lock, and that's what came to my mind several weeks ago. That is holding back God's dam of blessings. And I believe that it just could be our needing to be embracing this area so vital to the heart of God. So vital to the heart of God. Who were some of the recipients? Well, when we consider deeds of love, we must remember that we're not talking about just good works. I said a few weeks ago, deeds of love are, primary, are God's primary means of declaring and ministering the gospel. So the gospel must always be the heart of what we do, not just good deeds. This is not just another opportunity to do a little good thing for someone and make you feel good. This is an opportunity to serve God in the gospel and to share the gospel and watch the gospel do its great work among us. Amen? You see, God's redemptive work through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is the primary purpose of good deeds. That sharing of that great work. So, who are the recipients? Well, James 1 says this. He says, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father. To visit the orphans and the widows in their distress. And to keep one's self unstained by the world. This is God's heart. What we're talking about this morning is the heartbeat of God. You see, the primary recipients of mercy ministries within this church are those who for various reasons, and some of the reasons may be what we call genuinely good reasons, and some of these reasons may not be good reasons, notwithstanding the reason all who are in need, or those who need deeds of mercy. We're not talking about just helping those who have not done wrong, therefore we're going to help them. But if you went out the other night and did something wrong and now you need some help, we can't help you, we won't help you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about taking the needs of the church, and if the need of the church is dealing with the sin as we deal with the other issues, we're going to do that. But we will not ignore the needs in the body, because to ignore them is to ignore the heart of God. So don't want you to think, well, this is okay. I'm all right in helping people and pay their bills as long as they're doing right and they do their bills right and they ain't spending their money wrong, honey child. But I ain't giving no money to nobody who spends their money bad. This is not God. How many of us have been blessed by the Lord when we bowed up all over the place? Yes! I told someone I wouldn't raise my voice. Todd, I lied. <laughs> Something you got to shout out. I'm sorry. Who are the recipients? There may be, and there are, some, maybe many, in this church who have special needs because of health and financial difficulties. This church is replete with health and financial needs. Replete with it. Who may live alone for various reasons. There are many who live alone in this church who are very lonely 
and who can't meet many of the normal needs of their family or themselves or their households. There are many who have transportation needs. They can't get around. Not everybody owns four cars. They can't get around. They need help. There are many who need help and fellowship. There's just a lot of needs right here in this room. With We have, what, 200, 220 people in here today? There are a lot of needs right here. Is there anybody in here who could raise your hand and say, I have no need at all? This place is replete with needs. So during the next several weeks, what we hope to do is to identify many of these specific needs through covenant groups and other means so that we can become more active and effective in identifying and meeting the needs that you have with deeds of love. Now, who's going to be a part of this? I'm not going to be a part of that, man. Not going to get me to go do that. Remember what Keith read to us a few weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24? He said, this is the word of God to us. Let us consider, think about and plan out and be purposeful about. Let us consider, think about, plan and be purposeful. How to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. See, the word us refers to all of us. Not just to some of you. Everybody here. How many of you are here this morning? Most of you are here right now. This includes all of us. Todd Masson is looking around at his family. Is everybody here? Everybody who is here, this is us. You see, all of us, no matter what our abilities or giftings, doesn't matter. No matter what our age, no matter if we're new believers or we've been saved for years, all of us are called by the Lord himself to have some part in serving the needs of the church. All of us. So let me identify two major levels. Level number one, if you would, involves everyone. Everyone can do this level. So put your name next to this level, if you would. This is your level for everybody. Everybody can pray concerning this ministry. Everybody can give encouragement. Everybody can identify needs and share those needs and share suggestions. Do you see where everybody is in this? And everybody can give to Helping Hands or whatever the fund will call to minister the finances of this. This is what everybody could do. Could you write your name next to this and say, this is, I can do this part. The next section, everybody ought to be able to do it, but it may take time to begin to get everybody into it. And I see a day where every single person in this church is actively involved in some active ministry of good deeds. Not just praying and kind of being a sideliner like that, if you would. It isn't, but that's what you might think. But actively involved physically. And so, what are some of the other activities? It would be visitation. There are people in this church who have never had a visit from anybody in this church ever. I don't want to ask you to raise your hand, but I would surmise there are at least 30, 40 people in here. You've never had a person from this church visit you. Another need is providing and distributing food. A massive need in our community today. There are people in this congregation who need food. Transportation, as we said. Going to someone's home and helping. Cut the grass. Clean the house. Cook food. 
doing the normal things, repair, paint. We do some of it. But we need to do a whole lot more in excelling this. Counseling, just sitting with people and speaking to them and ministering to them, administering all of this. We're going to need someone to administer this. Pete Jefferson is not going to be an administrator of this. He can't do that. I don't, I, I can't, we need someone to be raised up by God to take the administration of this great program and grow with it and go with it. You see, the Lord desires us all to grow together. He desires us all to show forth the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you know what? I believe as we do this, as we embrace God in this area, this great verse will be even more meaningful and applicable to us. Listen to what the apostle says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Because you see, it will be the love of Christ among us functioning and ministering and vibrant and healthy. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? We always think of God up there and so on. This is it. This is the love of God our Father. Isn't it? Right here. Right here. Right in this room today. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Nah, not while we're ministering to one another. Shall distress? No. Because we're going to be ministering in the midst of distress. Shall persecution? No, because we're going to be helping one another. Shall famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. Why? Because we are going to be a body of believers that is so interconnected in love and deeds of mercy That nothing shall destroy the bond of love in this place. Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long and we are considered as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquering through Jesus Christ, through him who loved us. Why? Why? Because we are loving one another. Because we are binding up our lives into one another. That's one of the primary reasons we can be more than conquerors and protected from the assaults of the enemy. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. For the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Here it is right here. It's not just that way. It's this way. It's this way. Up and in. Up and in. Deeds of mercy. This is what God wants of us. This is a church that pleases God. Amen. <clears throat> <clears throat>